this is the Creative Coaching Podcast with Mike Lopez, where we showcase coaches, leaders, influencers, journeys, and experiences so you can be inspired and work to get better every day. Follow us on Twitter at CreativeCoach47, on IG at Creative Coaching Podcast, listen on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, rate and review. We'd really appreciate that. So here we go. Today's guest is Brian Burton. Coach Burton is a 15-year college coaching veteran. He's an ESPN college basketball analyst. He's the vice president of Rising Coaches DEI Alliance. He's a media host for All Access Network and is the CEO of Uprise Athletic Group. We talk to him today about creating platforms to impact lives. We talk about writing your own story and narrative to learn who and what to trust for the future of your life. He tells a very impactful story about his family. Hope you enjoy this podcast and you look to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Welcome, man. Thank you. I appreciate being here and appreciate you having me, man. I couldn't be more excited. I've, I've, I've watched the journey of this podcast take off, for, I think, from its almost inception, yeah. some of your first few episodes. And I didn't actually know you personally before this started, but the concept, the name, when you first came out with it, it was before everybody had a podcast. And yeah. uh, I just love the fact you were shining light on people. And I was like, man, one day, you know, and then uh, you were so gracious to help me get my younger brother Jason on. Uh, I think you might have asked me, hey, well, we're happy, happy to have you anytime. Uh, at that time, I wasn't probably ready for it, but uh, you've been uh, you've been patient and, and you've still been persistent. So I'm just happy to be here, man. It's 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 an honor. You you definitely sparked a lot in me to be able to do some similar things of just shining light on people and figuring out how to get some of the unsung heroes of the game to get more love. So man, I'm super grateful, excited to be here, and yeah, this is it's gonna be fun. No, for sure, and I appreciate those words, man, because. Uh... What, what you're stepping into now is a whole nother level. When people say leveling up, that's what's going on with you. And uh, I think here again, watching your journey uh, as well, you know, kind of the time, the time that I did meet you when you were with Lamar, uh, you know, kind of short. We didn't really keep it going yep. too well. But, at, you know, yep. here again, I keep my connections with coaches running all the time because I never know what they're going to need. They never know what I'm going to need. And when you forge those relationships, those are kind of the long lasting because they're genuine. They're not just because they're, they're a bit transactional, but they're more transformational, the ones that last longer. And so I think that's what no we, that's what we have going, man. So here again, man, I appreciate those words, but you know, you're, you're, you're on this trajectory now and I knew you were going to get there. It just was a matter of time. And so to get you on now is the right time. And that's God's timing, man. It's never really ours. That I mean, we want it to be ours, but at the end of the day, it's his. And when we kind of yield to that, everything good comes. So very happy and excited for you now. I want to ask you, Brian, how were you introduced to the game of basketball coming out of Plano, Texas? Yeah, good question. I uh, So I originally uh, was born in Flint, Michigan, which is a huge basketball place. Flintstones, homeless people like the King Please, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, ton of those, a ton of those Michigan State guys that came through. Uh, my dad went to Michigan State. My mom went to Michigan. So there's always been a rivalry in the house. Wow. Um, house divided. We grew up going, right. We kind of grew up going to Michigan State football games with my dad. That was kind of a tradition. And 
they weren't very good back then, but uh, we went to the games and had fun. And I was more of a Michigan basketball fan at that time, um, you know, supporting the Fab Five and uh, guys like Glenn Rice and Jamal Crawford and Tractor Trailer. Uh, I can go down the list, man. I just I love Michigan basketball. So I grew up in Michigan, and uh, the Bad Boy Pistons were were uh, who I looked up to as well. They were winning championships at that time. Isaiah Thomas was. Uh, childhood uh, guy I looked up to basketball wise and Joe Dumars and then uh, we moved to Texas when I was in fifth grade uh, I wasn't too into basketball at, at this point yet but uh, just watching it more so not so much playing it at a serious level and then I would move to Texas and move to Houston first uh, North Houston went to high school in the Oak Ridge or junior high in the, in the Oak Ridge area uh, and that's when I kind of started to fall in love with um, basketball, playing the YMCA, the YMCA league, and uh, it was a it was a fun joy. My older brother played; uh, he actually ended up playing Division One for Billy Kennedy at Centenary College. But he was a really good player in high school. He, I think, he still may have the rebounding record to this day at the Woodlands High School. He was in the first graduating class there. Um, I only went to the Woodlands as a freshman, and then I transferred. Um, halfway, I guess halfway through my sophomore year to Plano. And then I went to Plano East. And at the time, um, it was a pretty big basketball place. Uh, actually, Joe Folks and John Roberson won a championship a few years after I graduated at Plano Senior High. And then some years after that, Plano West ended up winning um, uh, with those guys. Um, but uh, Plano East was really good at the time. We we had a really good competitive roster. I think we probably had, I don't know, um, seven to ten guys that played college basketball at some level on the wow. same team. Uh, multiple of them went Division One, and yeah, I played Division Two and Division Three. I played Division Two with my older brother at St. Edwards in Austin, yeah. and then I played I played against my younger brother when I went to UT Dallas, um, and he played at Austin College, and um, so that was a lot of fun. He tried to come to UT Dallas. Coach Butterfield recruited him, but I was definitely pushing him. Coach Butterfield doesn't know this, but if he hears this podcast, he'll learn. <laughs> but I pushed, I pushed him to have his own path. I didn't want him to come where I was just because I was there as much as I wanted to play with him. I wanted him to have his own path. And, um, yeah, it's been cool. So after I got done playing, I kind of got into the grassroots thing right away, wanted to get back and had a really good player, um, Dallas Hunter, who was a top five player in the state at the time. And Buzz Williams was an assistant at A and M. They were recruiting him hard, Gillespie and those guys. And he was a really elite player. He was on the team, and we had another kid, Anthony Smith, who went on to Liberty, and he's still playing pro now. Uh, who was on that team? So I had some fun doing that. My brother got in the grassroots after that, and he was under under me. I had to create my his own team for him because he was co he was assistant with somebody. I was like, nah, let me. Let me create a team for him where yeah. he can coach his own team, and yeah. he kind of took over, and that led to his career. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the roots of it. Wow, man! And and here again, you ran down a timeline that went pretty deep there in in what you're doing and with the game, because I think uh, when we learn the game, when we get you know attracted to the game, there becomes this kind of love for it, and then the love to teach it. If you're going to become a coach, you love to teach it. Because not everybody who's good at the game can teach it, and I think that's kind of what you experience now. Because we all Absolutely. talk, we all talk about the coaches we had in our lives, the coaching that we got from either whether it was a YMCA league or you know at Plano East or even in college. Those things I think matter long run because that can affect how we even coach. 
how we step on the floor and start directing and leading really because some coaches have their way of doing it, but how do we do it? You know, I think, and so it sounds like you had a pretty good experience as far as coaching. Now, when you were coming up as a player, would you say the coaching that you had helped you along the way to kind of propel you or influence you to go into coaching? Yeah, it did actually. And I, I left out one small part of the playing part. One of the, one of the favorite places for me to play, uh, which the kids don't do anymore, but I grew up playing on the on the uh, playground blacktop yeah. a lot, you know, in, in Houston and just playing pickup games. Saturday morning like today, uh, we'd be playing. I play with the older, the old men sometimes and just <laughs> jump out there and play. Yeah. Uh, played in the rec centers all the time. So the love of the game was always there and the love to put in the extra. So the coaching part probably came natural from that. The first time I coached the team, I actually got to coach my younger brother's team. So my brother's three years younger than me, Jason. He's now the head coach, head women's basketball coach at Texas A&M Commerce, and all-time yeah. winning his coach there in history. Yeah. So he's, he's had a ton of success as a coach. And he uh, we all had different pl- game as players. My older brother was a big, he's 6'8". He was skilled to really pass, to shoot, could really rebound, could defend. He kind of he would have thrived more in today's game than even he did then. Mm-hmm. Because was kind of more the traditional big. Yeah. Uh, but he was a stretch. He was a stretch big, and so that was fun. My younger brother was a scorer. Uh, he was about buckets uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Not so much a creator, but he could shoot threes. He could shoot mid range. Yeah. Still a good passer, but he had a scoring mentality. And then um, I had ability to score. I, I just loved to, to pass and get assists. So um, winning was big for me. I just I think that's kind of the ultimate measure of a point guard, right? I just felt yeah. like if you won. And you did your thing. In my last year at UT Dallas, we won the first championship in the school history, and then it led to um, you know later them kind of that group that I played with was all underclass, and I was the first senior to graduate from that program. And nice. So the group behind me kind of carried the torch and took that winning energy, and and, uh, and they, they've been one of the best Division threes in the country ever since. They've won a ton of championships. So kind of going back to my coaching experience. The, how I was coached probably led directly to me wanting to be a coach and not, unfortunately not probably because it was such a great experience. It was probably more of the lack thereof. Uh, and I played for good coaches still and we had success. Uh, but I think the relational part and even the teaching part you talked about, um, and I had a diverse background. I moved in the middle of my high school senior year, excuse me, high school career. So that helped me a lot. I, I got to see the best of both worlds. So, picture this basically in Woodlands, Texas at that time uh, was a brand new high school. I think quite honestly, my older brother and I were the only black kids in the entire program, nine through 12. I think there may have been one other. Uh, So it was different. Uh, It was a different experience. It was a different experience. Uh, When I went to junior high, my team was predominantly black. Um, It was probably, you know, if we had 10 kids, we probably had, uh, it was probably six and four, you know, yeah. as far as the split. And, and uh, so that's the kids I went to school with. So then I changed to the Woodlands. And it was a culture shock. But I, what I loved about it was that we emphasized the fundamentals at the highest level because that was the formula for them to win. Yeah. And then I go to Plano East and really diverse team. Uh, again, probably more like my junior high team. Not all black, but predominantly black. Uh, we did have some other guys that could hoop that were not. Um, but 
it wasn't as much about the fundamentals. It was more about uh, we had a lot of talent. Coach was kind of a sarcastic. <laughs> he was kind of like his way of complimenting you was to make fun of the player that you did something well against. He almost <laughs> never he almost never directly gave you the love. So you kind of felt your you kind of felt yourself kind of wanting that, but yeah, you just yeah. knew like that was his way of of tough love. And then when you were on the other side, he was gonna he was gonna make fun of you, and it was always sarcastic. He was always kind of. Yeah. Calling guys mama's boys, and you know, he just had his way of pushing buttons and trying to make you competitive. But yeah. we didn't spend a lot of time on fundamentals, so I got the best of both worlds. My college experience, I went to private school and public school, and I think ultimately I wanted more of a relationship and I wanted more teaching. You know, yeah. I think the part about the Woodlands that I appreciated was the fundamentals. So the teaching part I loved, but I also loved the part about letting guys play and kind of giving them that freedom to be instinctual and, and be themselves. So I think for me, it was uh, the lack thereof in spots. Like, man, if we could just put this with this. And yeah. if that coach that was more relational was with this coach who was so disciplined, um, I think it just, yeah, I think. And then when you go to college, you realize how much of a business it is, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I just felt like, man, there's got to be a way to still help kids and actually want to see them be successful and not just want, yourself to be successful and I think sometimes in at the college level it just it doesn't even matter what level d2 d3 I've been at all levels um so yeah I think that's what really made me want to get into it my brothers were my older brother was like nah you don't need to you don't need to study kinesiology study something where you can make some money and if you want to fall back in the coaches you can yeah and that's kind of the approach I took and um yeah it just it led it led me to being a grassroots coach who wanted to connect to kids who wanted to teach who wanted to have a relationship and then who wanted to empower them to unlock their gifts to be great. And uh, I was very uh, uh, player-minded first in their success and then, therefore, our team. I mean, we were a non-shoe circuit team, and there was not really a shoe circuit at that time, but non-shoe sponsor team. And we had reversible jerseys, and we went to the championship, I think, of three different tournaments, and we're playing against DeAndre Jordan uh, and Houston Swoosh and, you know, teams that had NBA players and high-level players, but we just had a team that was cohesive and believed, and it was a lot of fun. So it started back with coaching my younger brother when I was in ninth grade. He was in sixth grade, uh, and then it just my mom always kind of felt like this is something that was in you. Um, so, yeah, here I, here I am, uh, 15, 15 years in college coaching. Uh, loved every minute of it, uh, even the hard times, and uh, glad to be doing some things in and around the game now to support it. Yeah, so you talk about the college game being what it is, and I think a lot of people, when they think about being a college coach, and you would know better than me and a lot of other people, is that, yeah, you love the game, but you got to learn the business. Uh, I learned that from Kevin Sutton, and you know yep. he, he talks about that and stresses that because it's so important. Love the game, learn the business, because your love for something can go wrong if you don't understand the processes that it takes to sustain the love or sustain the business aspect and your contract and the, the deals and who's going here and who's going there, knowing that one day you're going to get fired. Like it's inevitable. It's inevitable. You're going to have right. to change, you know, scenery unless you're coach K or whatever, you know, but there's only one of him. And so those are the things that I think when I, when coaches are listening right now, always know that love the game, learn the business because you're, you can get disenchanted real quick 
not understanding the things that are part of the process. So you're coaching, you're coaching yeah. uh, acumen and experiences, you know, started so early that I would say, man, it really propelled you to just be able to learn how to roll with the punches. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, I think the moving as a kid too, you know, moving around in different places, learning how to acclimate to, to new scenery, new places, new dynamics. Uh, and I've been in my coaching career in, in, in 15 years. I mean, I think I work for 10 different head coaches. Wow. Um, and sometimes it's just a natural progression of, Hey, this coach got a promotion. Hey, we got another coach. You know, it's not yeah. even, not even for full season. So, um, I think I worked at, if I had to think about my own personal coaching analytics for my career, I think I was at, uh, went to Lamar, Fresno State. Uh, I also had a stint at University of Utah. I uh, went to UTEP uh, and then I, uh, IUPUI. So six different Division ones, five years in junior college, uh, nasty ranked junior college. I think three of the five years I was in junior college, Paris, Collin County, uh, we were 12 in the country. Paris, we were six. Uh, Richland wow. Junior College, we, we went to the national championship game and lost in overtime, uh, which was devastating. Or excuse me, the national semis lost in overtime. And we finished third in the nation that year. Um, I got to coach my cousin there, which was amazing, an amazing experience. Uh, so I've been at every level, uh, been out of the game, coached with um, the Nike uh, Skills Academy group for a while. Um, so we had that experience. So, yeah, kind of been in and around the game for a long period of time. And I think, you know, those early years of kind of moving, adjusting to new environments, uh, just kind of helped teach me how to learn to roll with the punches. Yeah. Worked for a lot of different head coaches. I think I said 10 different head coaches um, over my career. And sometimes that was just for, like, I worked for Grandma Catherine for probably three months. Wow. Uh, we were in the we were in the trenches at Abilene Christian when he first got the job. Uh, and then he went to Baylor. And so then I got another coach. Yeah. So you got to adjust again. And so those situations happen a lot uh, in college athletics. I think you said it said it very well. I mean, I will always love the game and still love the game. I'm 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 in the game right now and supporting the business still right now. But uh, the business side of it is the side that people don't always understand, and the and that the common fan or even the common coach who hasn't coached at that level, it's it's just a hard thing to really put into words. Yeah. Uh, my last my last five years of the business, uh, I was promoted three years in a row, got new job or new title and a promotion, and more money, three years in a row. So I'm climbing the ladder. Lamar, my third year, I was recruiting coordinator. Uh, got a raise, got a bump. Uh, then I go from Lamar to Fresno State. I take a director of ops position, get a significant raise. Uh, but got to be really involved because uh, Jerry Wainwright, who was much older uh, at the time, uh, that allowed me to be able to still be involved in some aspects. Um, you know, being able to go on the road and still recruit. Guess he didn't. So things like that were cool. Um, and then after that, I went to UTEP. Now I'm back as an assistant coach. Um, get another raise, another promotion. Uh, and then my last two years, uh, I find myself trying to find a job, uh, yeah. which is the, the how how quickly it can happen in this business. Yeah. Um, you find yourself in the in the coach's portal, so to speak. What <laughs> uh, whether yeah. I think understanding that part of it, uh, you just learn. How to adapt. My faith has been a huge part of 
who I am, and God has really strengthened me more than anything through my faith through the journeys of college basketball. And I honestly don't know how you make it through adversity in life without it, especially in that in that space because there's just so many uh, so many challenges, so much worldliness, so much celebrity status that comes with being a coach, which is great, but you can get caught up into the wrong things really quickly and not make the main thing the main thing. So I think ultimately I, I love the game, always will. I love college basketball, but for me, I think God was just pushing me to do uh, some more things to impact more lives um, and use my experience in the game to then impact more people um, outside of just the 13 or 12, 15 people that I would coach on a team per year. Yeah, no, I, I see the the correlation between this kind of, you start off like you talked about your playing days as wanting just to set people up and make sure you win to becoming a coach and kind of still having that mindset and then getting to a point now where you're like, okay, I want to still set people up and I still want to win. And you can do all that sitting where you're sitting now. And I think that's a, that's a great future for coaches, whether they know most coaches are thinking about the next job anyways, unfortunately about moving up. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have to sometimes, but not know, like you said, they can't enjoy where they're at at the moment they can't be where their feet are at and that's because that's part of that business aspect but i think what you're talking about is trusting in a in a source that doesn't go dry trusting in something that's always going to sustain you and that's your relationship with god and so i i appreciate you bringing that up because it really is something that the game when it comes to the business or the the idea of who i am as a coach and who i'm becoming can really mess you up and your identity's lost because you think you're somebody that you're really not, or you're trying, you're yep. start, yeah, starting to believe all the hype or believe all the criticism too. Right. There's that aspect. Right. So, right. So, 100%, yeah, yeah. 100%. so being grounded. Yeah. I'll just, I, I just add to that and just say like, and I've heard coaches speak. I mean, I interview coaches a ton now, but I've heard coaches speak as well. And, and, and even thinking about one of your first guests uh, was Phil Beckner and, yeah. I was at the Rising Coaches Conference um, this last uh, June in Phoenix, and uh, I led a panel, and right after that, he spoke, and we chopped it up. And um, one thing that I actually asked him a question when he was up there, and one thing I asked him about was, what did you learn differently from your time as a college coach that now you look back and you wish maybe you would have done a little bit differently? And... um, to take his words, he kind of talked about the imbalance. Like, yeah, he's like, I was very unhealthy. Yeah, I was very unbalanced because I was so driven for um, the the business success, you know, and so driven for whether it's the next win or next recruit or uh, whatever it may be. Uh, I think he takes a step back now from what he said and talked about like he wished he would have had a better balance. Not that you can have a true balance, but just and even a better perspective, um, even sometimes in how he treated some of his players. And so, again, taking taking his words from that Rising Coaches Conference, I can I can relate to that. I think most coaches, when you're in it, you're doing the best you can, but there's a certain sense of survival mode because you said it earlier. You're, you almost you're hired to be fired everywhere you are. That's the nature <laughs> of college basketball. Yeah, you literally you get hired in a job, but you know, like you're either trending upward where you're maybe going to get the next job or you're 
maybe not even because of something you've done, you know, just the business and the nature of winning now. Maybe you're not winning enough, or maybe this coach thinks he can get a better player, so he needs to move that assistant spot, or maybe the coach feels pressure on his spot, so he has to move his staff around, or yeah. uh, maybe the coach gets promoted and he doesn't take you with him. You know, it's mm. like there's so many scenarios that happen uh, as an assistant coach where you're just literally trying to, you're doing your best to be where your feet are. And I think those that have maybe been through it and maybe those that have a certain perspective can do that. But I think a larger majority is really hard to be where your feet are, especially if where your feet are, it's where your feet are at that moment in time. Is not necessarily a desirable fit? You know, yeah. and I think there's, I liken it a lot to marriage. I'm married now and I'm happily married and we've been married for four years. And uh, I'm blessed that my wife has been a coach, still is a coach. She understands it. She coached at the collegiate level and was a head coach at two different division twos. But our last, that last five years, well, I was married to her for three of those five. So in those, in three of those years, uh, and we were probably together for four of them, we lived in seven different combined cities in three, our first three years of marriage. Wow. So imagine the strain on a family that you're long distance and you have children and you're trying to make that work. And um, we probably were long distance three of those times. So uh, say all that you try to be where your feet are as best you can. And those that can master it, it's it's the one of the greatest things you can do. And I think you have to have that trusting source to, to your faith walk and, and to, uh, for me, it's Jesus Christ. You have to have that in order to be able to really know where your feet are because you know the blessings are coming from him. But when you're in the business, you get led by the business, the industry ways. And so you may not be in a, in a, in a marriage, and I go back to that, a marriage that's aligned with who you are at that time. But it was the best opportunity. So you're trying to make it work until you can hopefully get into alignment with someone who is. So yeah. that's the hard part. Sometimes the role you play, sometimes you just, your coach may see you as just this, and they put you in a box that says, hey, you're just going to be a recruiter, uh, which for minority coaches, that's a lot of times what it is. You're just yep. going to recruit yep. and go get us good players, and we don't really care about some of the other aspects of that. In some places, they may they may only have you as just a defensive guy, and maybe you want to grow uh, and to do another thing. So I think there's so many elements that go into staffs and college basketball and um, and all those dynamics. It is hard to be where your feet are. I think if you can master that, that's a great gift. Uh, but ultimately, like you said, most people are looking and trying to figure out what's next for me. How can I continue to move and elevate or get my family in a better position or get my family all in one place or so there's so many elements that go into it, and uh, I appreciate you bringing that, bringing that up. And I think this for me, I always give the glory to God and, and for my adaptability through it. But I, I'll be honest, too. Like, I was out of line in my last uh, – I got let go at University of UTEP uh, – excuse me, University of Texas El Paso. Uh, it was a shock. It was, it was out of the blue. I thought we were so close. I did a great job recruiting. Uh, and sometimes just the transactional nature of business, right, doesn't yeah. make yeah. that coach necessarily a bad person. Uh, but ultimately, the head coach is hired to figure out how can they get their program over the top. And uh, at the time, coach made a move that he felt like he had to make to get the program over the top. But then it leaves me in a place where it's like, well, now people are looking at you like, well, are you any good? Well, did you do something? Or you had yeah. to do something, right? And, yeah. and it's not always the case. Sometimes coaches just make decisions. So I think that's the part where, for me, I actually got baptized right after that because I knew, for me, my faith walk was important 
but I didn't sell all the way. I wasn't all in. It's like we talk about our players. God was calling me to be all in. I was probably 80%. But I had a 20% mic that I was holding on to uh, that I was not the same person in the dark that I was in the light. Yeah. Uh, I was doing things that I was not proud of. I was doing things that I would not uh, want people to probably know. And I was not living all the way the way God wanted me to live. And we're not perfect, but I wasn't sold out. It was like, God, I'll trust you for this, but I'm going to keep these areas over here for myself. I got these, you know? And I think God really checked me. Uh, He humbled me. He had me look myself in the mirror. Um, I I have good relationships and positive relationships with all the coaches I work for still to this day, but uh, it's, it's real in that business. And that made me look basketball is not who I am. Like you talked about that identity. I think so many times coaches get that wrapped up in college basketball because it becomes who you are and, and you think it becomes who you are and you get caught up in that. But really it's just what you do. Yeah, And I yeah. think those that really master it. They know this is what I do. This is not who I am. I'm still a father. I'm a husband. I'm a son. I'm a community member. I like to do these things over here. I'm good at these. You know, we kind of put it in a box like this is everything. So coaches have a hard time leaving the business because it's like, well, that's all I am. That's all I know. It's like we're so much more than that. So I think what Kobe Bryant did for me and probably so many others, I was inspired to take Kobe's Kobe's baton, rest in peace, rest in heaven. Uh, Our youngest daughter is named Kobe, K-O-B-I, after Kobe Bryant. But he did so many things after he was done playing. Where Kobe, people only saw Kobe as a basketball player, and he was so obsessed and so consumed. But when he was done, he was done. And he did. He gave back to the game. He trained different players. He had his Mamba Academy. He's working with his daughter. He's writing children's books. He's doing uh, all these different things where he's winning Oscars and Emmys and winning <laughs> yeah. awards. Yeah. For, you know what I mean? So he, cha- he changed, for me at least, and I'm sure for, for millions of others, how basketball players and basketball coaches even, I took it a step further to say we're more than that and we don't have to just do this. And so for me, I, I, I want to carry his baton and, and pay it forward to, man, we can do more things. Coaches only think about, we talk to our players like, well, what's your backup plan if you don't make it pro? Or what's your basketball plan once you're done playing pro? Whatever that may be. But we don't usually prepare as coaches but what's your backup plan once your coaching career is done? Whatever age that is. Yeah, Maybe you yeah. make it all the way to retirement. Maybe you don't. But what's your? what are you going to do next? What things are you thinking about? So, anyway, I didn't mean to take the question and go so long, but I'm just <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very convicted, man. Very convicted. I, I have a story. I had my adversity, and, and God brought me to my knees where I got baptized. And I wanted to. I wanted to make that decision to show him I was all in. And the three things he had me surrender was, uh, or he wanted, he called me to do was obedience, humility, and trust. Wow. And all three of those pull at you in different ways. And I thought I was humble, but what he was showing me was, well, if you're really humble, then you're going to trust me with this and you're going to be obedient <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. you know it's not about you. So, yeah. man, it just it just led me to where I am today, uh, doing, doing all the things I'm doing now. I'm living in Colorado, never thought I would live here. Mm-hmm. I'm doing things I never thought I would be doing. And yeah. uh, God is just, he was just like, I need you to be obedient. I need you to trust me. And I need you to be humble enough to know this is not about you. I want you to serve and shine my light. Yeah. And I have so many ways I want, I want you to do that. Yeah. 
And in that, I will elevate you. I will lift you up. I yeah. will open doors. I yeah. will connect the dots. And, yeah. and in the business where I was in it, I just I, I thought I had to. I'm, I'm, I have a strong will that sometimes was the gift and the curse for me yeah. because I was determined. Whether it's recruiting, signing high level players, or getting the next win, or making sure we do that scout. But it's it's a balance of like, okay, I'm going to do the work, but then I'm going to trust God for the rest. Yeah, and it, here again. Uh, you, you said a whole lot in everything, but the one thing I kind of want to, to key in on or point out would be that of the highest form of worship is obedience. It's, it's, mm. uh, it's one of the mm. things that we step away from. We think we'll call out to him. We'll, we'll pray more. We'll, we'll, you know, fast or whatever, read more of the Bible or whatever. But the highest form of obedience to him is obedience. Like it's the highest form of worship is obedience. Like that's how he knows, like you said, you trust him. You're humble enough. You bring yourself to a place of like, it's not like you said, it's not about me because I didn't get me here. You brought me here. And uh, these are the conversations I have with young people every day at work. But, you know, to hear you say these things is good. And I'm glad we're, we're going to project this out there because I think more coaches more men, more women, more people need to hear this because there's always right now in our society, there's a lot less humility than there should be. Having, mm, having, having gone through everything we've gone through as a society to act still like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, nah, calm down. Like there's a place for that, but no one, the place is to humble yourself before God does before something else does, because we're called to humble ourselves, not to be humbled by something else. And I think, that's right. that's just what you're saying, and I love it, man. With everything else, because you you know you're preaching a sermon to to the choir right now, but everybody listening can really benefit from this because there's a different life for them to live if they haven't tried it. And and I and I would I dare people to try it because <laughs> I'm a double dog dare you. So yeah, man, I appreciate that. Now I want to talk to you about here again. You're talking about these different perspectives you're having. And you, you, uh, I'm into creating platforms, obviously, with this podcast, yep. what I do at work with young people, what I do with players in the gym, creating different sceneries. And this thing you started with Rising Coaches, the All Access Network, how is right. that? How right. you, and your, you and your cousin, Anitra, shout out. How, yeah, how, how did you, when you saw this coming, how did you see it kind of at the onset of it? Did you think this is going to be great? This is going to be something to do. I'm passionate. What was your goal behind it? I guess is really what I'm asking. Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking that. And, and it's, it's pretty amazing to look back. I was just doing that. We're working on a website now and I was taking a journey back through just some of the things that happened. And, and so how it started, it was actually all access coaches corner at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even before that, kind of going back to the obedience, humility, trust, right? Yeah. So, quick bullet points. I didn't know if we were going to – I was at IUPUI at the time. Mm-hmm. We are um, – what's the word? We're interim, and it's a pandemic. Yeah. So, everyone's Ooh. literally at home. You're not allowed to go back to work right now. No one's allowed to go. So, we're working from the phones, but we have no idea if we're going to be hired back. And yeah. I think for me, I had no idea if I wanted to even go back not because of the coach, but because of my family. At this point in time, my family's living in Dallas. I'm living in Indiana. This is one of the 
seven different locations we lived in the first three years of marriage. And during this pandemic time, I'm in Colorado hanging out with my wife and kids in the basement of my wife's mother's uh, mother and father's home, which is a huge basement, but it, we're hanging out there, living there until whatever life's on hold, right? We're on pause. Yeah. So perspective of the business, right? So here I am trying to hide publicly because I don't want to do things like a podcast. I don't want to be publicly seen the wrong way because I'm, again, interim. Uh, we're in a pandemic, and I just went through a transition from UTEP to go to IPUI. So I'm almost trying to stay away from the light, and that's where obedience and trust. So I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to fall back. I'm not going to be on social media. Well, me and uh, a former coworker of mine, Lamont Smith, we start doing some Zooms just completely non-promoted, word of mouth, through text message and DM, just like, hey, we're doing this talking hoop series. We're talking basketball. And to be honest, the, the, the mission was giving minority coaches a chance to show that they're more than just recruiters. That was the initial wow. uh, start of it is let's have different minority coaches on and let's have them have a platform where we can let them have a basketball topic they speak on. And so we had, at the time, I mean, we had uh, how it started, Dedrick Taylor, who's a friend of Lamont. Yeah. Um, uh, what's Fullerton, my guy's name? Cal, Fuller, like, Cal Fullerton. Yeah. Cal State Fullerton. Uh, uh, David Patrick was at Riverside at the time. Yeah. He came on early. Uh, Jerome Tang, Alvin Brooks mm. III. This is right around when Be Ready started. Heavy hitters. Uh, Alvin Brooks III. Um, uh, Dwayne Broussard came on. Um, yeah. Um, TCU. Uh, Marty Wilson. So we can go down the list. We So then after that, it was like, okay, hold on. Let's just make it where it's a basketball growth opportunity. So then we had Cody Topper and Adam Hood talking yeah. analytics. Um, yeah. We had uh, Katie Young, Stout's husband, Jason Stout from the Wizards come on. So it started literally with four people or two people. Then it went to four, 16, 54, 75, we had over a we had 100 people on the last few, and then we went back to 75, and it was like this thing had grown. So basically what happened is someone from Rising Coaches, actually Tommy Shrine, shout out to Tommy, he's an assistant mm-hmm. now at yeah. uh, IPY. Yeah. He was at Lamar at the time, and I've coached at Lamar for Tick Price too. And he says, man, you got to get with Rising Coaches. Like they're doing some stuff right now where you should bring what you're doing over there and kind of blow this thing up where more people can know about it. And I was like, man, and, and they, that's where I was wrestled. God's like, be obedient. So I'm like, okay, well, what does obedience mean now? I've been trying to hide, but this thing is growing and you're given this opportunity. So talk to Adam Gordon, CEO from Rising Coaches. He's like, man, would love for you to either bring that or do something different. And I said, you know what? We'll do something different. We'll do a, we'll do a two-part series where first half of it is interview. And sex, so people can get to know the person, yeah. and then second half will be uh, basketball. And so, Coach's Corner, All Access Coach's Corner, was created June first uh, of that year. And Dwayne Broussard was our first guest. Yeah. Actually, I couldn't get him on the other one, but I got him on this one, and it was amazing that he trusted me to do it. That was a big deal. And Ross Hodge was the next, uh, James Miller, and going on down the line. And so, it started with that. And, and you were so gracious. I'll never forget when I saw <laughs> yours screen in the box and I'm just like man like we're doing something because again my respect for you at that time is like this dude is at the the top of the the, the podcast game for coaches 
So the fact that he's on and showing love meant so much to me. Yeah. Uh, but we had so many cool, cool guests on. We ended up having uh, three social justice roundtables, which I was really convicted about. Where yeah. we brought uh, a bunch of leaders from basketball during this George Floyd social justice, like just unknown turmoil that we were all in as a country and, and locked in the houses. And uh, so we had conversations. We had uh, paired conversations with um, leaders from different races, uh, black and white, Hispanic, uh, in the basketball space to talk about real stuff that happened in our industry. And we had over 450 guests on that. So, yeah, that was crazy. I never thought that would happen. Never thought Rising Coach would be a thing. Uh, didn't know what Rising Coaches was. And it just led to all these things where then from doing those social justice things, Adam Gordon was convicted to create a diversity, equity, inclusion alliance uh, to align these different groups. So what happened, different groups were forming during the pandemic. Yeah. Asian Coaches Association, Hispanic Coaches Association, Black Coaches Association, Coaches for Change, Coaches for Action. All these groups embraced us. Embrace uh, be ready. All these groups were, were, were forming to, to, to be a rally around the cause to do more good. And, and Adam had a great vision to see it as let's align all of them. So we're stronger together. So it's not any competition. People know we're together. And so that's a whole nother topic, but that started, I got a vice president position with them, which I'm like, I don't even know what that means, but okay, let's do it. <laughs> um, and then it led to, then the season started or the school year started. So this was all in the summer and I'm looking up and I'm like, well, nobody's getting on Zooms during the school year. People got school now, even though it's, the pandemic is still kind of going on. And I just felt really convicted. And God was, again, just being obedient, trusting. And he's just like, I didn't know what I was doing in any of it. And I honestly still don't most of the time, but I just know who I'm following. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I really don't. Yeah. Now, all I of this you. stuff is like, I don't have somebody that I'm looking at that says like, they're doing the same thing. I'm going to follow this blueprint. Yeah. I'm literally in a space where God is like, I want you to create something, uh, that is authentic to you that hopefully people will be uh, inspired by similar to Kobe Bryant. Right. So uh, then it starts to, to, to change the name to all access network. Well, even before that, we started all access sports media, which I had these two things and I'm like, it doesn't make sense to have sports media on one side and all access coaches corner on the other side. So let's just merge them and just make one big network that coaches, we can do media. We can still spotlight coaches. We can still, share stories and we can still do good and be a light in the business um, and do it together. So the All Access Network started. We ended up having about five live shows that we did, podcast-type shows with different experts in their field. We had a high school show, a JUCO show, uh, multiple college shows, uh, and partners with guys like Kevin Sweeney from Sports Illustrated now. He was at Northwestern at the time as a student. He had his own website, College Basketball Central, and now he's gotten hired by Sports Illustrated, uh, Eli, Bodiger, wow. who is uh, with, uh, he started his own thing, College Basketball Heat Check, which at the time had maybe a thousand followers and now has almost 6,000, and they've grown uh, their platform and what they're doing. Um, Ani Umana, who is a, a big time scout in, in Texas, who's a uh, yeah. lead at what he does. Yeah. And so that was high school. Brandon Goble had the Juco thing. So we had all these different things. And then the HBCU Spotlight, we started that with Cam Daly. So we had six shows total last year. We ended up doing over 200 shows from June 1st with Coach's Corner all the way to the end of March. 200 shows. We had over 400 guests. Um, we had an incredible run. We had over 11 million views. And, you know, 
had no idea that was going to happen. And now we're in season two. Um, we have 10 shows now. We're kind of doing some similar things. We've added a few different levels so we can still spotlight women's basketball and coaches at different levels too. We have a pro. So anyway, all these things are going on. And really, I just go back to, I didn't have any idea what was happening at the time. I didn't know what Rising Coaches was. And I was literally, Mike, I was trying to hide from social media and the yeah. like. And yeah. God was like, you can hide for this little segment. I'm going to let you do that with this talking host with Lamont and doing the stuff on Zoom. But eventually, I'm going to push you forward because it's not about you. And yeah. that's the yeah. part where I love bringing on other coaches. And I took a page from your book. And, again, I, I will always celebrate you. We had you on early on because yeah. it was important to me. For me, when we started the actual podcast, like I had to give credit to people like yourself who were such a part of the vision uh, for me to do any of this stuff. I mean, I thought you were so selfless in your approach. That's great question. You had coaches on that weren't the people who were traditionally celebrated on platforms like this in the business. Yeah. You yeah. weren't just going for the head coach of the high major, you know, or the head coach that just came off the tournament run. You were going for yeah. assistant coaches, small college coaches, trainers. And I'm like, man, I got to take a page in that book and, and, and shine a light because I've been in all those levels. And at yeah. those levels, you do a lot of the hard work and heavy lifting, but you don't get the credit. And not that it's about credit, but you just want to be able to get a little bit of hope that you're being seen and acknowledgement so you can keep going because it is a hard profession and it is hard. You don't want to self-promote. That's such a thing. Like, yeah. oh, you, you can't self-promote or you can't do this. So you can't. So you're kind of walking on these eggshells in the business, whether you mean to or not, because you don't want to be perceived the wrong way, right? Everything yeah, is so yeah. perception-based. So, uh, again, shout out to you for what all Thank you've you. done because uh, you're a big part of everything that I'm doing now. Uh, I take a page from a lot of different books, like good coaches, right? We still play. Yep, we yep, still yep. inbounds play. We still all kind of things. <laughs> and I've stolen from you. And uh, you deserve to get the flowers, man, because uh, you were doing it way before the pandemic yeah. and way before it was cool to celebrate coaches of all levels. I appreciate that, B. I really do, man, because you talked about God telling you to create something. And that's the same voice I heard when I started the podcast. And that's why I called it creative coaching, because at the end of the day, we as coaches, we as leaders, we as, you know, uh, leaders of our communities as well, as I'd like to see myself. Uh, need to create things for people and then they can take get where they want to take it. I'll create it. You, you do what you do Amen. with it. After that, uh, it's kind of the fatherly instinct I have is just to do that. And so when you say all that, you said, God told me to create it, man. That's the greatest thing to learn how to, because he is the greatest creator. So he inspires us to be like him and create for others. So yeah, the, the, the 10 channels, the 400 interviews, you know, man, that's, uh, it's very impactful. And it's something that here again, I'll, I'll repeat down the line, 10, 15, 20 years from now, people are going to be like this spawned from that, this came from that. And, and who knows, you know, so moving forward now to, to present time and how you're, you're being more fruitful in a way you've taken on a, a, a role as a color commentator on ESPN plus for the university of Northern Colorado you know, part of the big sky. Yeah. Uh, how's that, man? Like, that's got to be something like just wild. And, and congrats on that, first of all. Yeah. But but yeah. how how was that? How are you processing that? Like, 
it's got to be like a dream or something unreal for you. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very humbling, I think is the first thing I'll say. Um, and then secondly, after that, it's, it's exciting. You know, I think that's, you get humble first because here, here I am again in this same theme, right? For the last three years, I've been following this obedience, humility, trusting, and um, I think there was a point in time where I knew that was a space I kind of wanted to be in. Um, early on in my career, I kind of thought for myself, I love the game and I love helping people. I love uh, developing people and I love uh, to see people succeed, right? And so coaching was natural. But I always kind of felt like there's something else for me in this game. I just don't know what it is. I didn't have the aspirations like some to be a head coach only. I think that head coach thing developed later because it feels like that's a natural progression. Yeah. But I think to be in a position where you can lead and, and impact people in a positive way uh, was my was my my vision. So ESPN was. I mean, we all grew up watching ESPN, and, mm-hmm. and whether it's ESPN Plus, ESPN Two, ESPN U, ESPN is ESPN. So it's yeah. such a an honor to be able to have an opportunity to do this, and it's pretty surreal um, to think about. But I remember going back in my career, there, there was a moment in time, a few moments in time I can remember. I remember meeting Greg Anthony when I was at University of Utah mm-hmm. and seeing him prepare at our sh- after our shoot-around and him asking me questions uh, about the team. And I'm, I'm the director of ops. I'm like, or excuse me, I wasn't even the director of ops. And I was the assistant player development or whatever the title was at that time, you know? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm at University of Utah just kind of like <laughs> – on the staff so I can learn. And I worked for Jim Boylan there, who was just the head coach of Chicago Bulls and learned a ton from him too. But, um, yeah, I remember Greg Anthony having this big, huge note card thing and, like, he's really preparing. I'm like, man, this is this is kind of fascinating. What a cool job. But it just kind of went back faded, right, and never really thought much about it. And I kept going through my career. And when I was at Lamar, we got the ESPN3 package which we were one of the only teams in the conference, us and Stephen F. Austin, to have that. So every home game was going to be on ESPN3. And it felt like such a big deal. We're selling it to recruits because anybody can watch it, right? It doesn't matter. You can watch the replay. Yeah. And they had commentators. I'm like, man, again, seems like it's pretty cool. But was so focused on coaching, um, didn't think twice about it. But my last few years, uh, Fresno State, we had an ESPN crew that I still uh, talk to to this day, uh, Mark Q. Jones. Uh, is, is, is the one gentleman and Paul Leffler. Uh, those guys were great ESPN radio. So I think that started the kind of thing like, man, it's just a really cool job. I don't know if I'm going to ever do that, but that's a really cool job is what I started to think. And they were at every game. They traveled with us, and they were ESPN radio. But they traveled with us. They did all the games, the interviews. They just, just seemed like you got to do a cool job. You get to work for ESPN and hang around the team, and yeah. you never lose a game. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you never lose a game. You have the answers. So Undefeated. I love that idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My last, my last year at IUPUI, um, oh, so then I go to UTEP, ESPN Radio, Steve Kapowitz, uh, Adrian Broder, shout out to those guys. I, 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 uh, I got to interview with those guys on their, on their show, and I'm helping the guys. I'm helping be the person to go between and get the players to go interview with them and kind of giving them they, they were so so there's no pro team in, in El Paso that's the beauty of it yeah. so they love ESPN El Paso it's like how we treat the Cowboys they treat that with New Mexico State and UTEP mm-hmm. so yeah. they were always trying to know about what's going on recruiting and always trying to know about so it was cool to see that aspect of like them be that entrenched 
and be the point person to kind of help those guys. So yeah. that kind of opened my eyes up again. Like, man, again, cool job. Well, my last year at IUPUI, I'll never forget, we played South Florida. We ended up beating them, which was an unbelievable upset, our biggest win uh, that year. Um, to, to get a get the check and you know you get a guarantee check for those yeah, that don't yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to play those games and then we won so and we weren't supposed to win that game we didn't win a ton of games that year but that was a huge win but before the game I talked to the guy at shoot around he was at shoot around uh, I don't remember his first name but his wife is the head coach at Florida for volleyball and he was telling me about how he kind of got into it and I think that was the first time I really started digging in and thinking like man this is something I'd like to do one day. Like, this is a cool job. I don't know how this guy got it. And he's asking me questions about the team. And then we had an ESPN crew every home game on our on our broadcast. And we're broadcasting on ESPN every time. And I'm just like, and one of them was a former coach. And he's telling me about how he kind of got into it and things he used to do. And, you know, you get to be in that space where, and then I started looking at other guys. I'm like, well, Fran Fischilla. You look at uh, Paul Biancardi. Yeah. You look at um, – a lot of former coaches, Seth Greenberg, um, yeah. a lot of former coaches that are in that space, right? And one, I was passionate too because there's not a lot of minorities in media, right? There's just not. Yeah. And so I think during that social justice time, Mike, I, I really was convicted. We talked a lot about, well, how do we solve some of these problems within our industry? We can't fix the whole world. Let's start within our space, which is basketball. And a lot of it was just, well, there's not very many black president there's not very many black athletic directors or administrators there's not very so it's hard to then level up to being a head coach if there's not these kind of decision makers well then it took a step outside of that there's not very many black men or women in media either you yeah, know especially yeah. that have coached and have played so i just looked at it like man how cool would it be to do some of the things that all these guys i've mentioned are doing and and be on a platform where you can still interview coaches, but then the ESPN thing was, I was convicted about it. I wanted to do it. I wanted to be at that level. Um, again, knowing that I had seen those things when I was at IUPUI, at Lamar, and, and all the places I had been. But IUPUI in particular, and Lamar, they're smaller schools, and they had that covered. So it made us feel bigger than you were, because everybody now is on ESPN+. Plus. Yeah, you can yeah, watch yeah, so yeah. many games on ESPN+. Plus. We all mostly have Disney+, Plus too, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we have <laughs> kids or not, you know? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I say that I say that to say it started last year in the pandemic. I'm like, man, broadcasting. And I got to give a shout-out, too, to Chris Walker from wow. Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who now works for CBS. And yeah. Chris Walker's been a friend and a mentor, a big brother. And he's yeah. dibbled. He's, he's bounced back and forth between coaching and doing that. And I think... Yeah. He's probably the first one as a black man that showed me this can be done. Like, yeah. we can do this too. You coach, and now we're doing this. And you don't have to be a head coach. Because sometimes we've all seen Avery Johnson or Danny Manning or, you know, somebody who's a head coach do it. But Chris Walker was the first assistant coach that showed me, like, hey, you can do other things, man. You can step into this lane. And so I got to give a shout-out to him. And he tried last year to help me to get involved uh, with some opportunities. Joaquin Jones, shout out to him. He did some Pac-12 and, and Mountain West stuff. Uh, he was the head coach at California, and now he's back at Washington in the business. But he had a year out last year. He was doing it. So, long story short, I called my brother Christmas break. I was trying to call everybody here. I called Colorado State, uh, Denver, uh, Wyoming, everybody within an hour radius of where I live now and try to figure out, hey, I'll volunteer. I just want to do it. Like, can I have a chance? Can I have a chance? 
and all doors were closed. No offense to anybody, just it couldn't work, pandemic, whatever. Well, I figured out, I thought about it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to Texas for Christmas break. Let's look at the schedule, and if my younger brother's team plays, then I'm going to try to get some games with them. And, man, it was the best thing I could have done. So I got a back-to-back doubleheader. They played St. Mary's out of San Antonio right down the street from you um, and got to do two Division two games. And um, what's the gentleman's name? I'm drawing a blank. Uh, it's going to come to me in just a second. But the, the rate, they do it on radio. And so I got to do with the play-by-play radio. And then now I have film and I have reps. And I got to see – how hard it is to prep. You prep for that just like you prep for a game. Because you have to know names, stats, information, stories. Uh, and I, thought, I probably interviewed and took notes with Jared Von Rosenberg, who was a, actually the first player I ever signed to a scholarship. So that was a near and dear. And he was my roommate at Abilene Christian for Joe Golding. Wow. Uh, so Jared's family, I got to work his game. Jason Burton, my brother, got to work their games. And so – that was an amazing experience, and I, I wanted to make sure that I added value to what the play-by-play guy was bringing, and I wanted to learn stories of recruiting and how would you get this kid, and I wanted to learn more than just the basketball part because obviously I can do that, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I had a blast, and I, I can't say enough about the opportunity to do it, which led to now being able to show the people here at Northern Colorado, hey, I have, I have some film. I did a couple games men and women, let me know what you think. And that factored into this equation because at least then they knew and they could see and say, well, we're okay with this or we're not okay. Rather than just saying, hey, I've never done this. Give me a shot. Uh, so, yeah, I was, I was blessed by, by Commerce and, yeah, and uh, you, yeah. McMurray, the AD, to, to let me do that. Yeah, and then some, you know, Steve Smiley, the head coach out there at, at UNC, uh, you know, you get to be around some real solid people now on a daily basis, not just them be around you, but you get to be around them too. Like it's, it seems like you're still going to be in this coaching kind of type yeah. of atmosphere. You're going to have to scout for games. Cause like you're talking about, it's like having a scout to get all this information. And I think you mentioned two people, but one in particular, Fran Fraschilla, who does it really well. So, you know, when you watch a game with Fran Fraschilla, he's talking about, well, he was at the at the Nike skills, this, and this kid growing up here, he played for so-and-so. He's giving you the background. Before you know it, you know everything about the kid that you'd have never thought of. And I think that's no that's something that'll, that's definitely a separator. You're not just commentating on, like, what you know. You're commentating on what you didn't know, and now you know. And so, yep. yeah, man, it's great stuff. Like, that whole... Uh, idea of adding value, uh, that is where you know, like you're being intentional, uh, and that's great. You mentioned Chris Walker. Shout out to Chris Walker, man. Going from, from, yeah, from, from, you know, met him a while back when he had his his school down there in Houston. We were always going back and forth with them down here in San Antonio. But uh, yeah, made a real good transition there. You're right. That transition was not seamless, but. You, you would have thought so because I've watched a couple of his games on CBS Sports and he's very good at it. And so, yeah, it's a great example. If you're, if, you know, any coaches out there trying to figure out how to get it done, I mean, you kind of heard how, how this went. Uh, maybe you can see yourself doing the same thing. And that's the whole thing, too, is inspiring other coaches and other people who don't know what the next step is uh, to aspire to yeah. do, do those things. 
No, absolutely. And, and I, I want to give a quick shout-out to Charlie Chitwood. Charles Chitwood is a gentleman that does the radio play-by-play. He's an East Texas legend. He's been doing it forever. Uh, the cool part for that was I've heard him do my brother's game. Mm-hmm. And so to do it with him still was a big deal. Because even though celebrity status, not whatever, when you hear people on television or the radio, like you just kind of see them in that light. It's like, man, I'm – I've listened to you do so many games. And so to work with him was amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then shout out to Steve Smiley, uh, David Shabolchik, who work at uh, the head coaches, Steve Smiley at uh, Northern Colorado. He really, uh, he was great. I mean, I saw him in, in uh, Arizona, same trip I was talking about earlier with, with the Rising Coaches Clinic. Um, and I kind of mentioned to him, I would love to, was trying to do some games for him. I thought I was, and then didn't fall through. He's like, well, we're going to be on ESPN Plus. Like, if you want, help i'd love to connect you with our assistant ad and he did and uh david was gracious enough to again afford me the opportunity to do it and so yeah it's humbling man it's very humbling i've heard chris chris do it too i've heard chris do it i've seen chris has been an aau coach which i've been he's been a college assistant coach at many places which i've been and so for him to do this just made me feel like and i had those conversations with him about hey man would it be realistic and he's like you know what a lot of people ask me this and everybody doesn't maybe have the skill set. He's like, but I think you do. So I want to help you. Uh, I'm, I'm invested in that. And, and then Daryl Jacobs from Rising Coaches, I have to give him a shout-out too. Uh, I mentioned to him early on, he's our executive director for the DEI Alliance with Rising Coaches, and he does ESPN Broadcasting. And he was he's, he's celebrated from the minute like Chris Walker did. He's like, man, you'll be great. Let me know how I can help. Uh, I'll give you this. I'll give you that. Kevin Sweeney, who was great, he watched my games when I worked him at uh, Commerce and gave me tidbits because he did broadcasting at Northwestern. He studied sports media there, and, and, and that's a part of his craft. So I just – there's so many people to thank. I'm probably leaving some people out, but I think that's the cool part is uh, when we allow people to help us and we put our ego aside and just say, I don't know this new craft. Like, let me learn. And like you yeah. said, I'm going to be around some great coaches, Smiley and his whole staff, uh, just to be able to – be around them, learn from them. Uh, and I want to be able to tell their story. I think going back to, like you said, about Fran Vasilla and those guys that are good at this, I want to be able to tell their story and the player's story. It's not about me. It's like another place where God has put me in a position where I'm so servant-minded. And going back to that college player who was a pass-first point guard, and I get to get a ton of assists. And it, it makes me operate in my gifts, and it helps people – uh, to, again, feel great about the work that they put in because people just don't realize how hard college basketball is as a player or a coach. So when you can actually get celebrated, we all get the negative criticism. It's hard mm-hmm. enough to win a game. You yeah. know, it's hard enough to be successful. So uh, I think that's just my biggest mission is just to shine a light, help others, and, and, and be as positive about things as possible. But, but at the same time, you do have to have truth. But in that truth, you don't have to go to the extreme and just, put people on a certain way because there's power in words so for sure anyway i'm excited i'm excited about that and and, uh, really 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 honored to do it i think i think it's going to go well really well so well that i think five years from now you're going to be surprised where you're at again and so yeah man i'm looking forward to that journey also man let's bring let's bring up the uprise athletic group you know led by led by you and your wife natalie another platform being created can you give us some insight to that and, and what the future and what the present looks like for that? Yeah, I, I, I'm so grateful that you brought that up. Um, so one cool thing about being married to another coach is that you get to do things together if you uh, are in like-mindedness. And we always had a 
not really like a, a true plan, but we always had maybe a dream or vision or talked about it. It'd be cool to work at the same place, same university at some point in time as head women's coach and head men's coach for basketball and volleyball. So, um, again, kind of going back to, I, I'll keep referring to it. I, I can't say enough about my faith walk, but God just kind of opened the door and said, I'm going to allow you to have that vision that you had in you to come to life but it actually looks like this and it's going to be with Uprise Athletics Group where you guys can do this together. She'll be the volleyball expert, you know, with basketball. Uh, our main mission is just to help others rise to higher levels of success. Uh, the others normally include teams, players, uh, parents, coaches. It can include all of those organizations. Uh, what we do it through is events, development, and consulting. So, this particular event is a college basketball tournament in which they call MTE, the multi-team event. Mm -hmm. And so, again, complete God thing. I didn't know the person prior that connected me to doing this event. And, and really, I got connected probably because of doing the all-access network things and some of the people I've come across. And one guy was reaching out and said, hey, uh, we're looking to – I had literally just been talking to some friends about – uh, and then I'll shout out Rossi Curran. Yeah. I, I didn't know a lot about what he was doing, mm -hmm. but I saw him make a shift and, and recreate his self. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So shout out Rossi Curran. He started doing events and during the pandemic, and I'm like, I don't know what that is, but it seems cool. Like yeah. I don't know if I'm able to do it capable. I talked to a former player of mine who was an NBA agent. He's like, man, you'd be great at that, blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of put it in the atmosphere. And next thing you know, I called Rossi, talked to him very briefly, um, kind of what I had heard from him, I was like, I don't know if I'm on the level to commit like you had to that. So, yeah. um, long story short, I get a call, I get a text from uh, a gentleman I had just fairly recently met, and he's like, Hey, man, we're putting on this MTE. We're looking to put this on. If you can help us get the teams, we can let your company host it. And I didn't even really have wow. a true company. We had just wow. started it. <laughs> um, and the big, the biggest thing is just like. Uh, relationships, how I knew that person was through somebody else. And they said, Hey man, this person may be good at helping you find teams. And again, I had never talked to that person about it. And so God just kind of laid the path. And long story short, we started, I started making some phone calls and I, I actually ended up getting the teams in place and the, the school was happy with the teams that were in it. And so we ended up starting going forward. And so next thing you know, we're literally uh, hosting our first, uh, annual event and the cool part about it is going forward uh, as we progress through this I'm talking to uh, Adam Gordon CEO for Rising Coaches yeah. about sponsorships and hey man you know maybe we can work together to get some sponsors you're really good at that and he kind of came back later and was like I think we just want to buy the title sponsor and, and we want it to be the Rising Coaches Classic wow. uh, we want to put our name on it we want to be associated with what you put together and and that was like such a humbling thing. Again, going back to like the ESPN thing, it was so humbling. And then right after that, it's so exciting to think, okay, we're we're associating ourselves with this huge brand in the in the coaching industry that says we're going to do an event with them. And he had enough trust in us. He's not even going to be there physically on site. He had enough trust in us, my wife and I, to to do that. So that's the part that's been amazing. There's been a great outpour after both success stories here recently that people have reached out to say, hey, we're interested in doing an MTE. Hey, we're interested in doing an event. Can you help us? And that's been really cool uh, and, and honoring. And then just to go back to Uprise, um, two other things I'll say. 
my wife has done a phenomenal job with the volleyball stuff, and she's done a ton of camps and things already. So that's been great. Uh, we've been able to consult and help some different programs and individual people in their journey to, 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 with our experience, which has been also amazing. Um, and then the cool part about our logo, so I'll say this and, and in the answer to your question, but um, I have never said this publicly yet, and I think at some point in time we wanted to talk about it and do uh, a post, my wife and I, about it. But um, part of how God has led me and led my family is through is through our family. And our recent newborn baby uh, did have something to do with some of the life changes that we've decided to make and that God's led us to make. Uh, so my wife's pregnant. We get a call 11 weeks into pregnancy from the doctor. We're on the road, literally driving back from Indiana to get my car on this long road trip for two days, right? And so we get this call right when we get in the car, and I'm half asleep. We've been up, you know, traveling, and um, my wife hands me the phone. She's crying. She gets out of the car, and she, the doctor basically says, hey, we did a genetic test. It looks like there's a 90% chance your child has Down syndrome. You guys have to make a decision if you're going to continue pregnancy or not. And it's mm. like... Wow. This whole concept, all of this at once is such a concept. And it's like, wait a minute, what? You know, um, how do you know that's accurate? How is that true? Uh, what do you mean we have to decide that? Like, this shouldn't be our place to decide that. So it was very overwhelming, as you can yeah. imagine. Yeah. So many, so many, so many emotions went into that. Um, fast forward, we go to the, we, and we couldn't go to the doctor visit that day. He was trying to call us in that day. We had two more days on the road to drive home. And so, it left us in a place of a lot of uncertainty. And again, going back to our faith walk, God brought us closer to him through this whole journey. So fast forward, we go to the doctor on Wednesday. Uh, I think this was Monday when he called. We decided to proceed with pregnancy and just trust God on it. And that goes back to that trust thing. And it's no knock to anyone else that may hear this or know someone that, that made a different decision than we did. But there's 85% of people who have that same choice to make choose not to proceed. Mm. And that hit wow. me hard. Wow. That hit me really hard. 85% of people choose to with, with that same decision. So it doesn't make us better. I'm not trying to say that we're holier than thou or above anybody. Uh, but we felt very convicted to just trust God on it. And yeah. uh, quite, quite frankly, breaking down some of that decision was, are we more worried about what people think? Or are we more worried about what God has planned for us, Ooh. right? And if yeah. God wants us to have a child that may have special needs, then that's an honor for him to think that we're that special a parent. And we had to flip it. We, we weren't there at first, but eventually we had to flip it to say, are we more worried about people? Or And then secondly, do we think that we're going to not live the life that we want to live because we have a child that may have special needs. So yeah. uh, that made me convicted that day when I got that phone call and I stepped outside the car, my wife's on the side of the curb and she's crying. Uh, and I just said, if I have to leave college basketball for our family to make it and, and to be whole and together and for you to know you're not doing this alone, I'm going to do that. So don't think twice about that. You know, don't let that factor into this decision that we're about to make. So fast forward, our beautiful baby's here, Kobe Grace, uh, named after Kobe Bryant. She showed her mama mentality. Uh, when she first was born, she was in the NICU 20 days and had to learn how to eat, and she's been amazing since. She's wow. healthy, happy. She does have Down syndrome. She's downright perfect for our family, and wow. she's the best way 
is the best way for our family to shine God's light through everything that we do. So with Uprise, the cool part is there's a part of our logo is a U with three arrows that point up. Mm-hmm. And my wife's brother did the logo, which that was important to us because he's in, he's into that space, uh, graphics and computer design. And he's like a super nerd. He does programming <laughs> and video games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's elite. He's really elite. But he did our logo, so that was important. But with Uprise, the part of the logo, uh, those three arrows that point up is like a universal symbol for Down syndrome. Wow. And so people don't even know people yeah. don't even know this Wouldn't part of it. Known, yeah. But that, yeah, that's a big part of our mission is to just do do good to help others, to shine light on, um, you know, just helping people. So uh, that's a part of our logo, largely because we are uprising as a family to to change the perspective and change the narrative of how it's looked at to have a child with special needs. Um, and and I want to I should shout out more people, but um, I'll just shout out Alvin Brooks the third and say that uh, he has. His sons yeah, have yeah. autism. Yeah. I think it's well documented. Yeah. And he was unbelievable to me to help me as a man to know what am I really facing here? What's what's the scary parts? What's the real that no one's going to tell me? Yeah. Uh, Alvin Brooks III has been a tremendous yeah. big brother and, and mentor to me, period, and teammate. But he was tremendous. And, and, and he shining his light again gave me more confidence to say, I know someone that has a difficulty with, special needs with their his kids but you would never know about how he carries his life and Not i was like all. i want to carry that same torch yeah like i did with kobe and, and and like i was inspired there like i was inspired with you with the podcast stuff so anyway that led to us wanting to do uprise athletics group together and honor our daughter kobe and also to, to live this legacy through this organization wow yeah man ab3 i mean He's a brother in the time in time of need, man. Uh, you know, you t- you talk about that correlation between y'all's lives, and uh, and I think that's what coaches need to hear too. Men need to hear, especially it's like there's people in your life that may have gone through something or are going through something currently that you think you're all alone and you've never been through, or you you see what's coming down the the tunnel and you think, well, here I go by myself. Like, no, nah, there's people right. to, to lean on. I think that's what's most important. And the fact that you and Natalie had that trust, uh, me and my wife went through something similar. And so, yeah, there comes a point, there's that fork in the road. What are you going to do? You got to make a decision. And, and uh, you chose what you chose. And there's no better. People can always say, well, what makes sense is to do A, B, and C. But at the end of the day, it's like when you know who you trust, you know who your source is then you can trust him to give you that insight on what to do because not, oh, not everybody's going to live your life and not everybody's going to struggle with you and not everybody's going to, you know, celebrate with you either. So there's oh, all man. that. And so that's great, man. I, I love that. I love that story. And so I appreciate you sharing that, man. That's big, big, big. Time. Yeah. First, first time I've ever talked about it publicly. Wow. Uh, again, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know when it would be, but I'm like, if there was ever a time, it's with it's with uh, with family with Mike. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I appreciate appreciate you asking. And, and again, the MTE, we're super excited. We have Loyola Maryland playing in it. We have South Carolina State, which is an HBCU, yeah. um, in it. Uh, two black head coaches in both of those schools. Yeah. And then we also have Loyola. Uh, excuse me. We also have Lipscomb, uh, mm-hmm. who's a great mid major, um, has a great coaching staff and a great tradition. Then we have College of Charleston as well. Pat Kelsey coming over from. 
uh, Winthrop. Their host is at their school. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are the host, the host team, mm-hmm. uh, and everyone else is coming in. So excited about that too, because it'll be great to 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 be able to put a mid-major event on a you know hopefully shine as much light on that as possible. So everyone again doesn't have to feel like you got to play in the biggest event in order to get uh, some 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 pub and some notoriety. So yeah. yeah, we're excited about it. And here again, you talk about your group and how. You know, we talk about opportunities for African-American coaches to to kind of see the whole menu of what they can do with this game, not just coaching, yep. not just, you know, you can commentate. You can start your own sports group. Like you talked about Rossi with the U Sports Group. Had him on yeah, a while man. Had him on a while back. Love Rossi, man. He's another brother in time of need. He's terrific. And so, yeah, he's terrific. So here, here are two good examples, you and Rossi saying, hey, look, you can even do events. You can even do this. You know what I mean? Like, it's just such a great inspiration for for people listening who feel like, well, all I can do is coach. All I can do is this. All I can do is that. It's like, no. Once you break out of that own little box you put yourself in or your, or your head coach or whoever puts you in, your parents, uh, well, man. You, can, you can wake up and realize, like, nah, I can do a lot with the information and the experiences and the guidance that I've had throughout my life and throughout my career. So. It's great stuff. Now, I want to ask you this, Brian, as we kind of start start slowing it down and ending it out. What have you learned about yourself throughout your career as a coach? Because I'm sure there's a lot. But give Ooh. me give me some key points, what you've learned that have helped you to get to this point of your life. Yeah, I think uh, number one, one of the biggest things is uh, knowing who you are before you show up in any space or industry um, mm. or group or club for me, that identity, no one else can define my identity, my security, my purpose other than Christ for me. Yeah. And yeah. I think I wanted to be in that space before, but I wasn't, I was probably fearful. I was probably nervous. I was probably a little bit scared. Um, and so I think just knowing exactly who I am, mm-hmm. uh, and showing up as that, it's so important. And I wasn't always able to do that in college coaching. And I think that's one thing I learned. Uh, I don't have any regret. I take that as a, as a lesson an L that way. Um, and not, and not as a loss, uh, because I still was, you know, I still for the core of most things I did was who I am, but I think there's a part of it where you get conflicted when you're in any place in your life where something means something to you. You, you get a little bit worried about what the person will left or the right may think. Yeah, and I think it's as best you can to stay true to your own journey, write your own story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the other part I would say. So, so first would be uh, being convicted, showing up, knowing who I am, and being true to myself first. I think that is super important, uh, especially in this day and age with social media and all these voices in the crowd. You can get lost in it, and it doesn't yeah. matter what space you're in. You can be a principal a teacher, uh, a fireman, a doctor, uh, a fitness professional. You, you can be anything and you can get lost in that space because there's always comments, there's always likes, there's always shares, there's always retweets, right? Yeah. So sure. I think just knowing who I am without that and then when I show up in that space, knowing that it's not about, I'm not doing this for other people, I'm being true to myself in this. And that's really hard to do. Again, I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody who's, I've fallen short of that plane. It's still something I have to be intentional about. So that would be one. 
Number two, I think, is that you can write your own story. That's a big part of All Access Network is giving people an opportunity and hopefully empowering people to, like you've done with this platform, to not only share their story, but you have the power of the pen. No one else controls your pen. Sometimes it feels like, again, going back to college basketball, which is my space, my wife was in college volleyball, it feels like other people get to tell your narrative or get to decide your success level or get to decide who you are, what you're about. And I think, uh, yeah, writing your own story, you have control of the pen. Don't forget that. Yeah. Uh, and, and if, and if you do give that to someone else at some point in time on accident or they pick it up, you got to take it back. That's important, you know, yeah. uh, to yeah. write your story and your own narrative. And then, um, I think some of the universal things I'll give two more. One would be just, it just matters how you treat people, you know, wow. and how you treat people is, is a big sign of who you are. And I think the thing I can say that I'm so blessed for, I mean, we've talked about so many things on this podcast and again, I appreciate you letting me share all these things. Uh, it's been awesome. I've, I've named so many names, right? I'm giving all these credits and shout outs and I'm acknowledging other people. Well, if I didn't treat those people well, during my time as a coach, I wouldn't be saying those names right now, probably. And I wouldn't yeah. have the opportunities to work with ESPN or to be doing an MTE or um, be working with rising coaches or any of these different things that I'm doing, starting our own media uh, network. Like, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you, probably, because you'd be thinking, like, well, that guy didn't treat me very, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I wouldn't be in the position. So, how you treat people is one of the most important things you do. And one of the most important legacies you can leave is how you treat people. Yeah. Um, and again, I take the Maya Angelou quote, it's not about, it's not um, how, yeah. how people feel about you necessarily, it's how you make them Definitely. feel, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I say that one, and then my, my last one would just be, um, man, my favorite quote, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, my favorite quote is, uh, a true test of a man, a mark of a man's character is not who he is in times of comfort and convenience, but who he is in challenge and controversy. Wow. And I think the hardest part about life is we're going to face adversity, right? It's yeah. inevitable. Yeah. We tell our teams that, we tell our kids that, we know that um, every great team has to overcome it. And life is what, 90, 10% of life is what happens to you, 90% of it is how you respond. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think with those things, taking Martin Luther King's quote, he had so much adversity, but the reason why his legacy is what it is is because he did take the high road in so many of those situations, and that is the true mark of a man's character. And I think for me, the proudest moments I can look back at, it's like I've been fired three times in my profession, you know? Um, I have overcome challenges. You know, um, we had a, we had a decision to make with our family that says, uh, what is our character going to be in this adversity? You know, um, we, we had, we've had long distance in our marriage. We've had, uh, job change, job loss. Uh, I've had people trying to stop me from getting jobs. I've, I can go on and on about the things that I've faced. Um, you know, been without the lights on and how am I going to make the next meal? You're unemployed. Like, you know, you've had all these things and it's like, well, how are you going to respond to that? And what is going to be your character during challenge and controversy? And I think I can honestly say I'm proud of 
leaving that legacy for my daughters and for my family name that uh, I believe I've handled adversity as well as you can. You know, it's never a perfect way to do it, but I believe I've handled it as well as you can. Uh, I've, I've righted a lot of wrongs. I've taken ownership for things I've done wrong. I've apologized to people. I've accepted forgiveness. Uh, and so I think those things are so important because it's easy when it's, I mean, I, I love the Virginia story, right? We all love that story. We're all inspired by, they were the number one seed, the first number one seed to lose mm-hmm. to a 16. Yeah. How did they respond? And, and, and his famous quote, Bennett's favorite, Coach Bennett's favorite, famous quote is, he thinks adversity can write you a ticket to a place that otherwise you couldn't have gone yeah. without that adversity. And so yeah. he feels like if we didn't lose as a 16 seed or one seed to a 16, we wouldn't have won this national championship, but that wrote us our ticket because we handled it right. And I believe the same thing is happening for, for myself and my family. Uh, I believe we're writing our ticket because of the adversities that we face, uh, because of the struggles that we're stumbling blocks has now led to uh, our success story and our pain has become our purpose. And uh, yeah, so I, I would say those are the things I take away from my time in college basketball. And I hope anybody and somebody can take something from that because I think that's some of the the real parts of this thing that sometimes we keep it surface and, and I'm, I'm at the point now I like to get as vulnerable and as mm-hmm. real as possible. Yeah. Uh, there's so much power and vulnerability as a man, as yeah. a person period, because yeah. that's where you, that's where you attack the fears. Yeah. When you attack those fears, now you shed light to it. Now they're no longer have power over you. When you keep it in the dark and you don't share it, it really has more power over you because it's just like, it's looming in the background and, and, uh, yeah, vulnerability is just such a powerful thing, man. So I, I just try to get there as quick as I can and be as real as I can because that's when you're going to really know what's going on. And, uh, yeah, man, I appreciate you asking that question. Man, Brian, like here again, we're, we're this is what I always love to do on these episodes is just let's get down to, like, real life. You talked about vulnerability. Like, that's so huge for us nowadays because whether we want to or not, life is going to hand us these things that are going to make us feel even more vulnerable. So why not share it? Why act like you're too big, you're too tough, you have too much pride, too much anger. You talked about forgiving others, learning how to forgive ourselves for things that have gone wrong. You know, all those things. And and I love what you're talking about adversity because in this time frame of the last two, three years where we've seen crazy stuff happen, adversity has become like this breeder of innovation and creativity. And it's really brought us to this place where it's like, okay, adversity's here. It doesn't seem, it seems like it's going to stay for a little bit in certain, you know, sp- you know, spurts and stuff. So let's just let it teach us something and then let's create something out of it. Let's not fold. Let's not bend and break. Let's just, you know what, let's, let's make something happen out of it. So, I love everything Amen. you're saying, man, because here again, you talked about your legacy for your children, for your family, who you are, what people are going to say about you at the end of your life, at the end of this whole basketball journey and treating people right is a part of that because it, it matters. Like you said, it really does. I appreciate your time, brother. I really do. Yeah, I thank you for yeah, being man, on. Fi- finally, we get finally. to. <laughs> so, I mean, it's been a long time coming. And I wanted people to hear your story and then your story is still being written like you talked about. And, and I can't wait to see where it goes and I can't see, wait to see how many more mountains you climb and overcome and all these great things, man. Cause uh, it's been an inspiration. I mean, just here, hearing everything you putting all this out there like that, I'm inspired again. 
and, and I'm just like, all right, Thank now, you. now, you know, I'll, I'll gas you up at any, at any point, but now I got more gas to throw out there <laughs> and, and really, cause man, it, it takes a lot to share what you've shared and to be vulnerable, like you said, and, and it's appreciated because I know people will benefit from this. So here again, man, I, I appreciate it. Now let us know how the, the uprising athletic group, how can people connect with you with that? Yeah, so my personal um, Twitter since, or, and Instagram, since that's the way a lot of people communicate now, mm-hmm. is at Coach Burton13 at, oh, excuse me, that's my email. Let me stop. At Coach Burton13 is my uh, Instagram and uh, uh, Twitter handle. Those are, that's the easiest. Um, at Uprise AG is the uh, Uprise handle. Uh, so that's the way one, you can, one way you can get a hold of us there. And then, uh, all access network, I believe, is all access underscore net on uh, Twitter, and then you can just search all access network on uh, IG or YouTube to find us there, or Apple or Spotify. So, yeah, man, uh, again, appreciate the time, appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I just, I can't say enough about what you're doing to empower others and unlock greatness in others and pay it forward and. Uh, I've taken a page from your book. Keep going, my brother, because you're doing more things where you're creating and you're impacting lives. We we talked about on our podcast, the one where I interviewed you, about the player legacy and the family legacy as well, the, the, yeah. the ministry legacy. So yeah. I just tell you, keep going. Uh, the world's a better place because you're in it. I appreciate how you inspired me. And uh, you you are a part of our success story and my success wow. story because of wow. who you are. So I want man. you to know that. I appreciate that, man. I really do. And I love you, man. And I, I'm, vul- too, I'm vul- vul- vulnerable enough to say it to another man on my podcast. I love you, brother. I really do. So yeah, love you again, too, thank you for love being you on. Too.